God has plans for your future, but first, you may have to deal with the past. Coming your way next on Destined for Victory, Pastor Paul Shepard delivers his message, Destined but Dysfunctional. First, he joins us from his studio. Pastor, your ministry to us each day on the radio and with the various online sources for Destined for Victory is so encouraging. One more thing you do, and you feel strongly about this, is the monthly encouragement letter that goes out to everyone. You want to say a word about that? Yeah, absolutely. The one letter I feel strongly about making sure we produce every month is an encouragement letter. And so I take some time and based on some teaching of that month, and occasionally it's not related to the teaching, just something that God's put on my heart in that particular time, I write a letter to let people know not only are we preaching messages, but we're really trying to impact your life and help you with application. Because again, our ministry exists to help people know God's Son, apply God's Word, and fulfill God's purpose. And my encouragement letter is designed to help you know Him, apply His Word, fulfill His purpose. And so I feel strongly about it. And I want to encourage people who are not on our mailing list to please take a moment and let us know, hey, I'd love to get the letter. It's absolutely free There's of no charge. There's no obligation for it. No obligation at all. We will take care of the stamp and everything. All you got to do is let us know. We can reach you. We'd be happy to send it to you. We can also send it to you by email. And it's important for you to be encouraged month by month. And so please let us do that. Get in touch with us. Give us your email and your mailing address so we can get in touch with you on a monthly basis. Well, the word encouragement means to give someone support, confidence, or hope, and sometimes all three. That's what Pastor Paul seeks to do each month with these letters of encouragement. Sign up today. You'll be glad you did. We must come to grips with the fact that although God uses dysfunctional people, God doesn't excuse dysfunction, which means we have... The onus on us to grapple with some things so that we can be fit for the master's use. Not all of our struggles are easy to identify. Sometimes we fall into patterns we don't quite understand. Habits are ways of living that were ingrained in us without our even knowing it. Today on Destined for Victory, Pastor Paul Shepard reminds us that we're in good company. Coming your way next, he takes us to the story of Joseph. A man called to a glorious purpose, but first had to overcome a dysfunctional past, one that began long before he was born. Now, here's Pastor Paul with today's Destined for Victory message, Destined but Dysfunctional. As we continue to examine These opening verses in Genesis chapter 37, I'm calling this part of our study destined but dysfunctional. And we examined in the previous message the fact that like Joseph, all of us have a calling of God on our lives. God is up to something in your life. He didn't just save us to prevent us from being eternally lost. That was certainly a wonderful feature of salvation. But he saved us to develop a real relationship with us that is to last throughout all eternity. And he saved us so that we can be part 
of his global plan in redemption to be trophies of his grace. God is up to something in all of our lives. The Bible says he has a plan and a purpose for us. And so we would do well to study characters like Joseph in the Old Testament. Even though he was under another dispensation, he was under another covenant, the Old Covenant. Still, the Bible says things written beforehand were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. What that means is, even though we are people of the New Covenant, we cannot ignore the Old Covenant because there are so many wonderful lessons to be learned as we look at the shadows and the types and the images and the case studies from that era. And so we're looking at Joseph because he was a man of purpose and so are you and I, people of purpose. And we noted that God had a plan and purpose for his life despite knowing all about his background. I love it that God doesn't just call wonderful people. God doesn't just call people that you would consider most likely to be part of God's plan. I'm glad that when God said, I'm going to have a plan and purpose for each of my people, he counted me in and he didn't discount me because of who I am or where I come from or what cultural issues or what personal idiosyncrasies are part of my life. I love it that God plans to use even jacked up people. That's how we all got in. He plans to use jacked up people, not just great folks, not just people who have it all together. When you come to him, he says, come just like you are. I know what I want out of your life. I know the plan I have for you. I can take you from where you are to where I want you to be. I can get rid of the sinful patterns. I can destroy all of the things in your life that I don't want to be there. But I can start with you right where you are. That's what God did with Joseph. That's what God is doing with us. But in order to do that, we said we must come to grips with the fact that although God uses dysfunctional people, God doesn't excuse dysfunction, which means we have the onus on us to grapple with some things so that we can be fit for the master's use. So I want to continue to look. At the dysfunction that was characteristic of this family that is all so significant in the redemptive plan and purpose of God. And just in the last message as we looked at the fact that coming down this family line, you saw some trends that were not to be passed on. You saw in Joseph's great-grandfather, Abram, the tendency to let fear cause him to make ill-advised decisions that was passed on to his grandfather, Isaac. And Isaac, too, was a man who, when fear showed up, it caused him to make ill-advised decisions. We also saw that his grandparents, Isaac and Rebekah, raised Sons that they favored. One parent favored one son. The other parent favored the other son. And those are the people who produced Joseph's father, Jacob. And we looked at the fact that Joseph now is being raised by a man who is used to dysfunction. He was raised in a dysfunctional environment. And so dysfunction seemed normal. It was just everyday life. And we talked about the fact that we must be careful because the traits of parents are often the tendencies of their children. And so the traits we saw in Jacob's upbringing, now you see them in Jacob 
and he is now passing them down as he is a grown man and has had his sons. I want to pick it up there. I want us to look together at these first verses and look at what is happening as a result of these challenging family patterns. I got a couple of questions for you as you look at Jacob's parental style that produced Joseph and his brothers. First question, why is Joseph, a 17-year-old, allowed to act as a supervisor over the work of his older brothers? You see that right here in the beginning of the text. It says, this is the account of Joseph, verse 2, man of 17, tending his flocks with his brothers, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Why is the 17-year-old, all the other brothers in the field are the older ones? This text doesn't speak of Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother. You see him only later on when Joseph is in Egypt. Right now, you're looking at a dynamic where a 17-year-old is tending the flocks with his older brothers, and he is acting as an unofficial supervisor. Why is the 17-year-old doing that? Second question, why does he feel safe enough to be a snitch. Come on, let's grapple with this. Let's look at this in the book so that we can learn about them and then we can turn around and learn about us. Why does a 17-year-old feel safe enough to act like a snitch when it comes to his older brothers? Now, most of us who were raised with siblings, especially siblings who are older than you, you knew it's not a good idea to tell on your older siblings. But this boy feels safe. Question is why? Third question, why does he have on a Versace robe? You don't see Versace in your text? What kind of translation you working with? No, no, the Bible doesn't call it Versace, of course, I'm being facetious. But it does say in verse 3, his father had made for him a richly ornamented robe. That's a designer original. (laughs) Richly ornamented. We're not talking about something you just got off the shelf at Sears. (laughs) Richly ornamented robe. So why is this boy acting like an unofficial supervisor? Why does he feel safe enough to be a snitch? Why does he have on a designer robe? The answer to all three questions is the same because we are clearly told that his father loved him more than any of his other sons. And it gives us his rationale because he was born to him of his old age. That's a rationale, but it's not an acceptable reason. Don't go away. We're only about halfway through today's Destined for Victory message with Pastor Paul Shepard, Senior Pastor of Destiny Christian Fellowship in Fremont, California. If you enjoy listening to Destined for Victory, we know you'll love watching some of his best video clips by subscribing to Pastor Paul on YouTube. For more details on all of his social media, scroll to the bottom of the homepage at our new website, PastorPaul.net. That's PastorPaul.net, and there you can listen always on demand to recent messages and find a variety of new features and resources. Now, with the second half of today's message, Destined but Dysfunctional, here once again is Pastor Paul Shepard. 
Many of us know what it is to have a younger child. You think they're a little more babied because they were the youngest in the family. Some of you were probably the youngest in your family. Maybe your older siblings thought you were a little more babied. Little more babied is not what this is talking about. Some of us know what those dynamics are like. I came up in a family where the first four of us shepherd kids were born reasonably close together. I have an older brother, three years older, my older sister, two years older. Then I showed up, third child. Four years later, my sister, younger sister was born. So all of us were in the same period of time, about seven years apart for the four of us. And we thought that was it, four shepherd kids. (laughs) Ten years passed, and my parents messed around and went on a cruise. Got out there, those tropical breezes were blowing. Pop had an anointing come over him. A few months later, they sat us down at the dining room table for an emergency family meeting. I can picture it as I speak. Two of us, two kids were on a broad side of the table, the other two kids on the other side. My mom was down this end. My dad was at this end. My mother looked dejected, (laughs) confused, bewildered, perplexed. My father looked proud. My mother lifted her head and said, we need to tell you all that you're going to have a new brother or sister. I'll never forget how I felt hearing those words. I looked at my mother in disbelief. Looked at my father. I thought, what's the matter with you people? Have we taught you nothing? I was 14 years old sitting at that table. Hearing I'm getting ready to have a little brother or sister. You gotta be kidding Some of us know what it's like to have a, you know, a Johnny come lately in the family. And, you know, indeed, my younger brother, Kenny, showed up. I was almost 15 when he was born. We loved him. We accepted him. Good thing, because he was in whether we voted or not. I felt almost like a parent. My dad was traveling and preaching and stuff so much. I was not only his older brother and mentor, I was more like a surrogate father. I loved helping to raise my younger brother and loved seeing him come up. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, he was the baby, but you know, the older was made sure. We're still here too. So it worked out well. You all know what that's like, where there's one that's maybe a little more baby to something. That's not what this text is talking about. Here you had a father who was raised in an atmosphere of favoritism because one parent loved him more than the other kid and the other parent loved the other kid more than him. Jacob knows what that feels like from his own upbringing. Now he is imposing that on his children. There are some lessons, there are some takeaways we need to take a look at here because this is sin. Let's not call it an issue, an idiosyncrasy, 
a tendency. No, no, no. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. When you love one child more than the other, something is wrong there. It needs to be identified as sin. You say, Pastor, how can you go as far as to call it sin? Because of the definition of sin. Sin is coming short of God's stated known will. This isn't a question where it's a gray area. I'm not sure what the will of God is where it comes to raising your kids. No, no. We know what the will of God is. God gave us children. He calls us to be the same kind of loving parent toward all of our children that he is toward all of his. When you are born again, you are brought into the family of God through the new birth. By accepting Christ as your savior, you become his child. Look at how he parents if you want to know how you ought to parent. And when you look at how God parents us, you can clearly see it is his known will that it is sin when you love one child or some children more than others. That needs to be grappled with. That needs to be called what it is. Jacob, of all people, should have known what that felt like. He knew what it was like to have that dynamic going on. And he knew what it produced. It produces sibling hatred. Sibling hatred, you see it right here in the pattern. When his brothers saw, and they saw it obviously over and over again, that their father loved Joseph more than them, it says they hated Joseph. You bring your children into the sin of hatred when you set this dynamic up. And so we got to learn some things. Let me just share three lessons we need to learn from this text. Before we move on and talk about all the other spiritual dynamics that took place in Joseph's life, Let's learn the takeaways. Number one, thou shalt not practice favoritism. Do not practice favoritism when it comes to raising your children. Make sure that you love all of your children for the people God made them to be. God loves all of us. We who are saved by grace through faith, we can all say, I am well loved by my father and so are my other brothers and sisters. First John 3 says, here's King James, Beloved, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. NIV says, the love that God has lavished on us. God has loved all of us so well it doesn't even make sense how well loved we are. We know we don't deserve how well-loved we are by God. It's just beyond reason that we were lost, that we were sinners. The Bible says when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. What manner of love is that? But here's what you need to understand because God loves us that way as his children. He loves us all well. But he has enough love to spread out and make sure no child of his is ever unloved. And he doesn't distinguish us. He loves us all alike. Now, let me make sure you understand what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we all have the same calling. Doesn't mean we all have the same gifting. Don't say, well, if God had loved me, he'd have given me the gifts that he gave that other person. No, he made you, you. And I'll talk about that in the next point. But you need to understand that God loves you while giving you differing gifts than your other brothers or sisters. He loves you. 
He has made you his own child for his own purpose. He wants to have a special, intimate relationship with you. When you see parents parent well, they make each child feel so well loved that sometimes that child may be tempted to think, I think I'm the favorite. See, it's okay to be so well loved that you secretly think you're the favorite because you see how well you are loved. What you should not see in a functional family where God is being pleased is that your other siblings are clearly not as well loved as you. See, it's okay for you to feel like, I think I'm the favorite. And then the other child, you don't know it, but the other child saying, you know what? I really think I'm the favorite. And then the third child said, no, I think I'm the favorite. At my father's funeral, my younger brother got up. All three of the sons got to speak. And so when my younger brother spoke, he said, I am here to set the record straight. I am the favorite shepherd child. Everybody fell out laughing. When you loved well, you think I'm it. But you should never be able to see signs that your siblings are not loved. And so if that issue is going on in your life, in your parenting, your grandparenting, your guardianship, whatever role you play, this isn't just for parents, this is for grandparents, for guardians, and for all of us who influence the next generation. If you influence them, because remember, leadership is not title, leadership is influence. There are a whole lot of people with a title, dad, mom, aunt, uncle, whatever it is, they're not leading. They're not having influence. If you have influence in the lives of the next generation, you are a significant leader in their life. And God calls you to task to make sure you are leading in a way that pleases him. And I'm here to tell you that we are to love all of them well, just as our heavenly father loves his children well. We are different. We are unique. But we all are the objects of God's tremendous love. That's why you're saved today, because of how ridiculously well God loves you. And so you now are to pass that love on. You are to be a conduit of that same love. And you are to love all of your children well. One may have a closer temperament to yours, but that doesn't mean that child deserves more love. One may you just relate to one more. But we are to love them well, just as our Heavenly Father loves us well. Thanks so much for being here with us for Pastor Paul Shepard's message, Destined but Dysfunctional. Destined for Victory is made possible only through the faithful prayer and financial support of friends like you. And today, when you send a generous gift to Destined for Victory, we have a thank you gift of our own to share with you. The InterVarsity Press Study Guide, Joseph, How God Builds Character. If you're like most people, your favorite part of a fairy tale is a happily ever after. But even in fairy tales, just like in real life, happiness often comes to us on the back end of adversity. In this outstanding resource, you'll take an in-depth look into the story of Joseph as a means to helping you see that God's plans for you will always be fulfilled. That's Joseph, How God Builds Character, yours by request for your generous gift to Destined for Victory. Call 855-339-5500 
or visit pastorpaul.net to make a safe and secure donation online. You can also mail your gift to Destined for Victory, Post Office Box 1767, Fremont, California, 94538. God gave kids parents because kids need parents. They need instruction. They need guidance. So we've got to get back to training up in the way they should go. And that means loving them to life, not to death. That's tomorrow in Pastor Paul Shepard's message, Destined but Dysfunctional. Until then, remember, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. In Christ, you are destined for victory.